This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, come warm yourself by the fire. You are among friends. Our Gary Patterson, our rock and roll investigator friend, is standing by along with a very special guest. I'll tell you more about that shortly, but I will reveal right now that this person... Uh, who Gary has brought to the party, is uh, very close to Buddy Holly, of course. We'll be making or marking the upcoming anniversary of his death, February the 3rd, 1959. That's 57 years ago. Uh, Of course, he uh, perished in the uh, plane crash along with Richie Valens, J.P. Richardson, the big bopper, uh, and uh, the the, the pilot, Roger Peterson. Uh, Ian Robinson is here our rockabilly technical producer. He's working feverishly on the other side of the glass. Albert Vinzel, of course, here in studio with me, running our HOA. That's a hangout on air. And if you want to join in, which allows you to watch the live stream on YouTube, so you can watch the radio program, (laughs) uh, you just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. While you're there, say hello, follow. And uh, at or near the top of the feed, you'll find the link to the HOA. You just click on it, and you're in. Elbert and I have posted our usual assortment of fascinating tidbits in the slide carousel up at the website. Just go to strangeplanet.ca. That's the the landing page. I have a number number of projects on the go there, but uh, if you go to strangeplanet.ca, and then you go to the radio page for this program. The Conspiracy Show. And you'll find a few stories there, uh, some of them relating to the the CIA and the release of uh, UFO files online. Uh, And I'm happy to report also an an official announcement on my latest live event, which I mentioned in passing last week, but now it's official, April the 17th. Mark this on your calendar, Sunday, April the 17th. Pulitzer Prize nominee, Nobel Prize nominee, best-selling author of The True Story of the Bilderbergs, Daniel Estelin. 
uh, will be coming to town. He'll be in Toronto Sunday, April the 17th. This is a Strange Planet production, and we'll be screening Daniel's brand-new documentary, Bilderberg the Movie. This will be the Canadian theatrical premiere. It'll be at the University of Toronto, the uh, J.R.R. McLeod Auditorium, and tickets are now available online at strangeplanet.ca. Just go to the live events page, and you can buy them online. And they'll also be available in-store or by phone starting Tuesday at Conspiracy Culture. So they'll actually have physical tickets in the store, or, or you can order them, reserve them on the phone starting this coming Tuesday at Conspiracy Culture, our good friends Patrick and Kadena. And then on Wednesday, I'm told, next Wednesday, you can actually order them online as well at conspiracyculture.com. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Three young singers who soared to the heights of show business on the current rock and roll craze were killed today in the crash of a light plane in an Iowa snow flurry. The singers were identified as Richie Valens, 17, Buddy Holly, 22, and J.P. Richardson, known professionally as the Big Bopper. The aircraft chartered from the Dwyer Flying Service crashed near Mason City, ironically the setting for the prominent musical... All right, as I say, hard to believe, uh, almost six decades uh, since the plane crash near Clear Lake, Iowa, uh, that took the lives of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, J.P. Richardson, the uh, Big Bopper, of course, and the pilot, Roger Peterson. They were on their way to... Uh, the next stop in their winter dance party, uh, which was in Minnesota. Uh, didn't make it, obviously. And that's where we're going to uh, delve into over the next 45 minutes or so. Our Gary Patterson, a good friend of the program and mine, a native Tennessean with a passion for rock and roll. Gary researches, chronicles uh, some of the most enduring Mysteries of Rock. He's the author of The Walrus Was Paul, Hellhounds on Their Trail, Tales from the Rock and Roll Graveyard, and Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. Gary Patterson, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you, Richard? Very well. How are things down in Knoxville? <laughs> well, it's strange weather. It was snowing last week and in the 60s today, so... I like a variety. Now, I, I, I'm not telling tales out of school. I think you're a little bit older than me. Uh, do you remember Buddy Holly growing up, or were you too young? I was actually just a little too young. But I remember going to a record store, and I was looking through albums, and I saw this guy with these really black glasses on. I kept saying, well, this guy doesn't look rock and roll, you know? But I had no idea the songs he had written. Of course, you know, the day the music died, I was in elementary school. And I was just listening to what was on AM radio, and if it was Buddy Holly, I had no idea who it was. But a lot of people who were around back then have, you know, just incredible memories of exactly what they were doing that day and the sense of loss they felt. I remember I was doing uh, Coast to Coast one night, and I had a caller who called me and told me that he was in Florida, and the day that he heard about the plane crash that morning, that when he came to school... He put the American flag on upside down, which is a sign of distress. Right, right. And he said that everybody was calling to school because they thought the principal had died. And, <laughs> but, you know, it was just the impact on him. You yes. Know, and he was just in his teens. So it had a major impact, not only in the United States, around the world. And uh, his music is eternal. I mean, people are going through the influences of Buddy Holly, where there was the Beatles, which was the very first song they recorded. They borrowed a 
friend's uh, cassette recorder and recorded That'll Be the Day. So everybody was into Buddy Holly that came out in the 60s and was old enough to hold an electric guitar and, and get in a band with four other members and, and uh, create dreams and, and visions for a future. Well, I, I was I was not born yet when he died, uh, five years before I, I was even born. But when I listened to Buddy Holly, uh, you know, not to take anything away from the, the pioneers, the Chuck sure. Berries, the Jerry Lee Lewises, uh, but for me, uh, Buddy Holly was almost in the, the same way the Beatles were when they released Revolver, almost like a different planet. His arrangements... I mean, 1957, 58, the arrangements, the strings, all of this, it was just out of this world. <laughs> it was. And he arranged this music for a three-piece band. Well, actually, if Nicky Sullivan, it would have been four-piece, you know, who was... Right, the, the rhythm guitar, guitarist, but, yeah. But eventually, you know, it was the production yes. that Buddy Holly was able to pull off. And the catchy lyrics. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just great music. And it took rock and roll to another level. Everybody else you mentioned, if it was Little Richard, it was the piano and, uh, you know, his vocals. And, but you had the same sort of R&B yes. uh, production. But Buddy Holly was revolutionary. He was different. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to get you to introduce our, our Mr. Guest here in just a moment. Okay. Uh, but let me, let's just take a quick step back and, and, and talk about that ill-fated uh, Winter Dance Party tour, which just was kind of a mess from the get-go, wasn't it? Actually, it was. I mean, the buses, they were on school buses. They had no heat. The temperature was down to as low as 40 below zero. The guys on the bus were burning newspapers in the aisle to keep warm, and then they had to roll the windows down to get the smoke out and let the cold back in. And they would do 100 miles in one direction, do the show, then they'd have to go back the exact same direction and do another show. So it wasn't put together very well at all. And they were sitting on the school bus, traveling. Buddy Holly wanted to have his <clears throat> have his clothes laundered and to, to sleep in a bed for one night. And the big bopper was sick. And uh, nobody knows why Richie Valens flipped that coin, because he had a, a terrible fear of flying. But yet he did. And uh, the day the music died, ever since Don McLean's song, is, has told a story about February making me shiver. And... Uh, Bad news on the doorstep. So the the lyrics is basically a history of rock and roll, and I think a lot of it has to do with how, in the early days of rock and roll, you just wanted to dance, and uh, you know the songs were just catchy and fun, and then it became very political, and then you went through the dark period. But Buddy Holly was, you know, always a figure of of happiness and his songs. I mean, he had some tearjerkers, but I mean, he had some, you know, just the production of his songs and the way he played the arrangement and how he influenced everybody that came after him. I mean, that's a legend. And I guess Danny and the Juniors are right. Rock and roll will never die because it did survive for over 59 years, didn't it? Uh, uh, quick, quick question before we get to the guest, and that is I've never understood this. Here was a, a Buddy Holly, a man, I mean, he had toured. He had toured in Australia. Uh, you know, huge, at the top of his game in 1959. Why was he riding these, you know, buses with no heat doing this disastrous tour? Well, you know, our next guest is going to really have the definitive answer on that. But, I mean, there's there's stories about uh, he was in a lawsuit involving his publishing, so he really wasn't making that kind of money and that he needed to to go out on the road, and that was the only tour available 
And if that was the case, then it was really, really sad. But I know that there were some legal issues that forced him out. And uh, I'm sure he he did not want to be on that bus, but, you know, he was going to stick it out. And uh, sadly, you know, just the whole idea of getting a plane on that night and, you know, but there's so many things that are basically not correct about the day the plane crashed. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we're still learning. So, I mean, the story's going to live forever. And uh, our next guest will have a lot to bring up about all this because I think your audience is going to enjoy it. Okay, well, we're gonna we're coming up on a break here, so we're gonna introduce her right after the break. Uh, there's her first clue. I've said she is gonna come right on after the break, but before we get to the break, um, Gary, I just want to give people a little sense of where else we're going with this discussion uh, tonight regarding uh, a Buddy Holly, because your forte really is delving into a lot of the uh, and unraveling a lot of the, the mysteries and the curses, and one of the the, the amazing, well, not amazing, one of the tragic aspects of this of this um, the story is the I don't know if you call it a curse the Buddy Holly curse but the the figures that were attached in some way or associated with Buddy Holly that also um, met an early demise uh, just give us a, a kind of a, a sense of that as we head into the break here well if you take a look at it there's so many names that were touched by it like for instance uh, Joe Meek who was uh, one of the greatest English producers, had predicted that uh, through a tarot card reading that Buddy Holly would die on February 3rd. You had Ronnie Smith, who took Buddy's place on the Winter Dance Party Tour, that as soon as the tour is over, he checks himself into a sanitarium and he hangs himself. David Box became the singer in the Crickets and did the song Piggy Sue Got Married that was released. And uh, he left the band, was killed in a plane crash, just about the same age as Buddy Holly. Bobby Fuller, who wrote I Fought the Law and the Law One, he didn't write it. He recorded it. It was written by Sonny Curtis. But he died in mysterious cases, and he was supposed to be the new Buddy Holly. And then, I guess as we look further, you have Keith Moon from The Who, who died on Buddy Holly's birthday. And the night before, he attended the opening of the uh, Buddy Holly story in London. And then you had Mark Bowen from uh, T-Rex, who, when he had his car accident, they found a badge that he was wearing that said, Every day is a Holly day. And then you would have Tupac Shakur, who was shot on Buddy Holly's birthday. I'm going to stop you right there. Um, that's okay. enough to fill a show. <laughs> All right, Gary. Uh, we will take a time out, and we'll come back with our special guest as we talk about the day the music died. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye. Yes, that'll be the day when you make me cry. You say you go. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. If you knew Peggy Sue, then you know why I feel blue without Peggy. Not the Peggy Sue. All right, well, there's another audio clue as to the uh, identity of our uh, guest. Gary Patterson is with us, rock and roll investigator, uh, the author of The Walrus Was Paul, 
uh, Tales from the Rock and Roll, or sorry, Hellhounds on Their Trail, Tales from the Rock and Roll Graveyard, and um, uh, many others. We'll, um, we'll get Gary now to introduce our special guest. Well, Richard, it's a great honor for me to introduce to your audience the very first goddess of rock and roll, when guys stopped writing about their cars like Maybelline and wrote about special girls in their life. And the song you just heard, Peggy Sue, uh, has probably been recorded so many times by so many different artists and actually still sounds as fresh today as it did when Buddy Holly recorded it. So let's bring on Miss Peggy Sue Guerin from Lubbock, Texas. Ah, Peggy Sue, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, well, thank you so much, Richard. I'm so thrilled to be on here with you and Gary. I just can't even tell you. <laughs> well, we are delighted to have you. Uh, wow, f- almost 60 years, 57 years. Um, mm-hmm. How does it feel? I mean, does it? I mean, time must have flown by, I'm guessing. Well, it has. It always feels like yesterday. Uh, you, it's something you never, you never, ever forget. You know, when you have somebody that you love and and they're a close friend, and you're involved in a project. And we thought rock and roll was the most important thing there was in life, and as it turned out, it was, you know? Mm. So it's always it's always fresh. Take us back to those heady days in Lubbock, Texas. You met uh, Jerry Allison, who was the drummer, mm-hmm. uh, would become the drummer with the Crickets at Lubbock High, where, where Jerry and you and Buddy all attended. Um, tell me how you and Jerry met, and then how you and Buddy met. Well, I met Jerry, actually, when I was uh, in the seventh grade, so he played drums in the junior high band, and so when I got into high school, he, of course, was in the senior band, and so did I, so was I. I played uh, first-year alto saxophone, Uh, and I met Buddy when I was 15 in high school, and he had graduated the year before me coming into high school, so as I was leaving high school to go out to the band room, uh, he was coming in, and he knocked me down, and so that's kind of how our first meeting occurred. <laughs> just but, like in the movies, uh, just like in the movies. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And what was he like as a young man? Well, I mean, he was, um, he, he, was he, he died a young man, but I mean, how, what, what, what was he like then? He was a neat guy. He, um, you would have, he never bragged. You, you never knew that he was, that he had going what he had going, and he was always so common. I mean, he it, he was so interested in other people and what they're doing. It didn't matter what you did on his recording sessions. He always had time to thank you for, I mean, it didn't matter if you clapped your hands on the session, you know. It was like, thank you so much for playing on my section. So he was just very humble, uh, very nice, uh, very low-key. Uh, he did have a temper. He could have a temper. But uh, most of the time, it just, you know, just didn't show. But he was just a nice guy. And uh, how soon uh, after high school uh, was it apparent that, that uh, Buddy Holly and the Crickets were destined for greatness? Well, uh, 1957, that'll be the day was a hit. And they had written a song after the movie The Searchers. Uh, with John Wayne saying, that'll be the day. And Buddy said, well, we wrote it in an hour and 15 minutes, and uh, they recorded it, and, of course, it was a huge hit. But uh, that'll be the day, and then then the hits came, you know, started to follow after that. So and, that and was 50, 57, 58, 59. 
Yeah. And Gary, I'll get you to jump in at any time, of course. Oh, I'm, I'm enjoying the story. But uh, uh, when oh. and when did you and Jerry uh, f- uh, fall in love and, and, and marry? Um, my senior year in high school, I was going to a girls' Catholic school in Sacramento, and he had his mother call my mother in Lubbock, Texas, and see if if I could if I could come to the rock show in the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium. And uh, my mother said, well, yeah, I think she can attend. That's okay. And uh, my sister, I was living with my sister and brother-in-law, who were stationed in Sacramento in the United States Air Force. And so we invited Jerry Allison. We also invited Buddy to stay. But uh, like Buddy said, well, we can get another drummer, but we can't get another Buddy Holly to stand in for my place. So Jerry Allison spent the weekend, and we took him back to the tour to join the tour that weekend, so um, that was that was kind of the 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 new uh, uh, relationship we had started. We didn't have a very good one in my when I was in high school, but it was kind of up and down and what have you. But he had changed a lot, and so had I. So that's kind of where the relationship started. And uh, I mean, I wish we had three hours. Uh, uh, to talk <laughs> of Peggy Sue, so we, I mean, we have to sort of jump ahead, and, and it does it really a disservice okay. uh, to the story. But mm-hmm. um, right. w- w- what led to uh, Jerry uh, and Buddy, you know, parting ways, sort of professionally? Well, uh, they went on. A, we we got married. Jerry Allison and I got married July twenty second, nineteen fifty eight, and. Buddy and Maria Elena got married in August 14th, right after that. We honeymooned in Acapulco, and they came back and went on the road. Um, I kind of feel you on some personal details, but I didn't go on that that um, tour because our new Impala was broken. And Buddy said, that's all right. You can ride with Maria Elena and I. And I said, no, 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 no. That's okay. I'll meet all of you in New York. You just go ahead and do the tour. By the time the tour was over, everybody was angry at everybody. It was like the worst situation I have ever walked into. I flew into New York to meet all of them, and um, it was really very difficult. So Jerry had been doing his thing. By that, I mean um, he was drinking and making new relationships or friendships, shall I say. Ah, very delicately put. And Buddy was extremely upset over it. And Buddy was also very unhappy in his own marriage. So by the time I got to New York to meet up with everybody, everybody was at odds with each other. But your friendship with Buddy um, remained even after the the, 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 uh, sort of the dissolution of the of the crickets. As oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we we would have uh, Buddy had already got the. uh, architect to drop the plans for the recording studio here in Lubbock and the house that his mom and dad were going to live in, which was a gift to his mother and daddy on his birthday. And uh, we would have, you know, he would have had the recording studio here and produced records. Decca had already offered to put up the financing and, uh, you know, it would have been business as usual the next day, but we just didn't get that far. Uh, again, I you know I invite you, Gary, to jump in any time if you want to add anything or or ask a, a Peggy Sue a question. Uh, well, you know, maybe yeah, Richard, go ahead. what we ought to do is go back to uh, the song because there seems to be a lot of information that 
that hints at the idea the song was never really entitled Peggy Sue at first. It was called Cindy Lou. So what do you think about that, Peggy? I think that's awful, Gary, that you'd even bring it up. <laughs> Why did I invite him? Why well, did I invite him? I know. I just, you hear it, you know, and my answer is this, because if it was written about Buddy Holly's niece, and I, you know, I sort of know where the information came from. Why did Buddy Holly write two songs about you? Because well, the second song was Piggy Sue Got Married. Right. Well, th- when I wrote my book, Whatever Happened to Piggy Sue, which is new, I have a new book out there on Amazon.com, uh, Richard, thank you. And uh, when I wrote the book, I went back to the Norman Petty studio and to the vault, and I said, you know, Kenneth, Kenneth is the head of the Norman Petty estate, Kenneth Broad is. And I said, okay, if, if there's a song here named Cindy Lou, I want to find it. Because Buddy never wrote a song that he didn't write the chords down or the, or the lyrics down. And we, and there was, or, or recorded it. And we could find nothing. There was no Cindy Lou whatsoever. None. Zip, zero, nada, nothing. So I just went from that and I went, there was no Cindy Lou. Well, that came out in an interview on, uh, the Buddy Holly story with John Gullrosen, uh many years back, and I, I just kind of thought, well, okay, that was sour grapes coming from Jerry Allison. But uh, we could find nothing, nothing that had to do with Cindy Lou. But, 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 but he did write Peggy Sue Got Married, and he wrote his parents a letter, and he said, now don't tell her because this is a surprise, and I want her to be surprised. Well, he wasn't talking about Maria Elena because Maria Elena was there with him. So he was talking about me, you know, and it was a total surprise and shock when I heard it. Of course, unfortunately, I heard it after he had died. But. Mm. How, how, do you know how his how, uh, buddy's wife, Maria, responded or how she reacted when he wrote this song? I mean, was there any sort of jealousy there between the two of you? Well, there was a lot of, um, <laughs> well, let's see, a lot of very cold feelings between the two of us. She was um, nine years older than I, and so there just was not a lot of communication between her and I. So she, how much older than Buddy was she? Five. She was five years older than Buddy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and she was, she was nine years older than I. Do you remember the, the first time you heard that song played on the radio? Uh, Peggy Sue Got Married? Uh, or Peggy Sue. Oh, yes. The first time I ever heard Peggy Sue was at the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium when Buddy performed it. And then after that, I heard it on the radio. But the first time I ever heard it was on stage with him performing it. How did that feel? It was wonderful. I mean, they were doing what they wanted to do, and they wanted to entertain. And they were so happy at what they were doing, and especially Buddy. And, I mean... How does that, when you're walking around and, and people are, other people are listening to that song and maybe they don't know you, I mean, are you, are you bursting inside wanting to tell, that's, that's, they're, they're singing about me. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> you're a better person than I am. I mean, I would be, I'd be telling everybody I know. <laughs> no, I don't do that anymore. It's like they, I go, really, you like Peggy Sue? Well, that's great, yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing I did do, uh, Gary and I went to uh, uh Baden and Baden, Germany, in November. Yes, we And did. I got to meet John Wayne's granddaughter. <laughs> and, of course, that's where the idea of That'll Be the Day came from. Right, right. And so I said, I, I just have to thank you, even though you're not your grandfather, 
But thank you so much for that'll be the day. And she just died laughing. <laughs> Interesting, uh, you know, source of inspiration for a song, isn't it? A mm-hmm. line from a mm-hmm. movie like that. It is. We are coming up on another break, but we'll get this conversation started here, and then we'll continue after. But um, uh, in the uh, the days or weeks uh, leading up to the uh, the plane crash, you had. Uh, some ominous dreams. Can yes, you, I did. Can you share those with us? Oh, yes, I can. Yeah, well, let's start I, now, uh, and then we'll continue after as well. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, no, go ahead now, and then uh, we have a couple okay. minutes, and then, yeah, then when we break, and then I, we'll... I think it was October. I had a dream where this small plane went up in the air, and I had, I saw, there were, I thought it was Buddy, Jerry, and Joe B on the airplane with the pilot. But um, I saw the plane go up, and then I saw it circle around the airport, and I saw it come straight down. And so I was just frantic. It was one of those nightmare things you have. And uh, so the next day I said, you can't, I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to get a small plane. I don't want you to rent one. I don't want you to lease one. And I told Betty the same thing. And he said, now, listen, I'm safer up in the air than I am on the ground because there's more accidents on the ground than there is up in the air. And I said, no, you don't understand. This plane came down. So I had this dream three times. And um, the second time I had it, I told him again. He said, no, quit worrying about it. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And I really thought it was Jerry and Joe B in the airplane with him. Of course, as it turned out, it was not. But uh, it, it was really strange. And the third time I had the dream, I knew. I knew that we were that we were going to have a plane crash somewhere, and uh, and uh, oddly enough, Richard, on February second, we were on our way. Jerry Allison had broken away from Buddy Holly, uh, unfortunately for Jerry Allison, but we were on our way back to Lubbock, Texas, to st- stay with his parents, and we're driving back to Lubbock on this two-lane road, and here is this truck that's parked up on the left side of the lane we're going on the right side of the lane and all of a sudden this body like hit the trunk the hood of our car <coughs> and um jerry slowed down and we turned around and it was a truck driver i mean he had jumped in front of the car and just came down on on the hood of the car so we got the police and we got the ambulance and we took him to the hospital and we gave uh, we we gave the report to the police of what had happened, and we went on to love it. And it was late when we got in, and when we when we got there, we stayed with Mr. and Miss Allison because it was late. Sonny Curtis was also with us, and it's like this body had just dropped from the air, and um, oh my, I uh, yeah oh yeah, and this was February February second, going toward the third, and uh, so. The phone was ringing the next morning, and, and Sonny Curtis came in and woke Jerry Allison up, and he said, you you need to answer the phone because they're saying the crickets are dead. So um, Jerry got up and started answering answer the phone, and I sat at the kitchen table and drank coffee and read all the papers that came in, the newspapers that came in. And um, I, I just I couldn't believe that all of this was happening at the same time. It, it was just like it was like the dreams, and the plane went down, and then all of a sudden we had this body dropping down on the hood of the car, 
and we ended up in a lawsuit. We won, but uh, it was just, it, it was all very, very funny, very strange. Very strange indeed. All right, we'll uh, take a time out. Whatever happened to Peggy Sue? Well, she's right here on the program, The Conspiracy Show. Peggy Sue Guerin, along with good friend R. Gary Patterson. We'll be back with more in a moment. Oh, well, the little things you say and do Make me want to be with you Rave on, it's a crazy feeling And I, I know it's got me feeling When you say, I love you Rave on You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Maybe, baby, I'll have you. Maybe, baby, you'll be true. Maybe, baby, I'll have you for me. I mean, listen to that sound. That's at least 10 years ahead of its time, at least. Wouldn't you say, Gary? Oh, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, Peggy Sue Guerin is uh, with us as well, uh, along with our Gary Patterson. Whatever happened to Peggy Sue uh, and her memoirs are now available on Amazon in trade paper and on Kindle. You want to pick up a copy of this because, uh, I mean, this is one of the greatest stories in rock and roll and told by someone who was there. She's the girl next door and uh, the subject of the immortal uh, Peggy Sue and Peggy Sue Got Married by uh, Buddy Holly. Uh, if I can just um, throw this over to you now, Gary, uh, and, and go back to the um, that fateful day, February 3rd, and talk to me about sort of the, the seating arrangements and, and um, who decided, how it was decided, who would go on the plane and who would stay on the bus and so forth. Oh, I'm sorry, Richard. Did you ask me? I did, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. My phone clicked. Uh, Peggy Sue must have been on the other side. Uh, basically, what happened was that they'd been on the road, and Buddy Holly wanted to get his clothes laundered, and he wanted to sleep in a warm bed and not a school bus with no heat with uh, 40 below temperatures. So he chartered the plane. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Peggy Sue can talk about this as well. But I know that the big bopper had the flu, and he talked to Waylon Jennings about if he could have Waylon's seat on the plane, because it was Buddy and and the band, which in that case would have been Waylon Jennings and uh, Tommy Alsop, because Carl Bunch was in, had been hospitalized with frostbite on because, his feet. Because of the tour, right? Because he was That's on that right. bus for much of the tour. On that tour. So... Anyway, I think that Waylon always enjoyed the idea of hanging out with the guys, and the Big Bopper threw in his brand-new sleeping bag that would keep him warm on the bus. So it wasn't hard to talk Waylon into it. And, of course, Waylon Jennings always told the story that when they went to the airport, that as he saw them get in, the Big Bopper got in first behind the pilot, Richie Valens, the next seat in the back, and Buddy in the co-pilot seat. And as... Buddy was getting on the plane. He turns to Waylon and he says, Hey, Waylon, I hope you freeze your butt off in that old school bus. And then Waylon says, Yeah, and I hope your old plane crashes. Oh, dear. And he said he never got over that because that was the last thing he ever said to Buddy Holly. Of course. Now, now so if I could jump in, Gary, now, uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong, was it Whalen that did the coin toss with Richie Valens? No. No, no. okay. <clears throat> it was Tommy Alsop. Ah. And this is what's strange, because Richie Valens had a terrible fear of flying. And actually, he was convinced that he would die in a plane crash. And he went to his grandfather's funeral. And the day he went to the funeral, two planes collided over the junior high school he attended in California. And the pieces of the plane rained down on the playground. Oh, my. And every day, Richie would bring his guitar and he'd sit under this tree. And he'd play and all the kids would be gathered around him. Well, that day, he wasn't there. And when the plane crashed, it killed his best friend. So this really fueled it even more. So for me to think that Richie Valens would want that seat in a plane, I mean, unless he was the star. I mean, it was supposed to be for the stars, whatever. So Tommy Alsop, he wasn't at the airport. They come back to check on the equipment at the surf ballroom. And he sees Tommy Alsop there and he says, hey, Tommy, let me have that seat. And Tommy says, well, let's flip it. So they flipped a coin and it was heads. And Richie Valens says, you know, this is the first time I ever won because it was heads. <laughs> and he took the last seat on the plane. And Tommy also, back in Texas, started a bar that he called the Heads Up Saloon because it saved his life. Now, there's another story. And that story is with uh, Dion and uh, from Dion and the Belmonts, who says that he was actually offered the seat, but he, he didn't want to spend the money because it would be what he would pay for a month's rent in his apartment in New York. So, you know, you have that version, you have the version with Tommy Alsop. It's just, it's just really strange that the Tommy Alsop story has started ever since then and has been going strong and all at once this one comes through. But Peggy Sue may want to give an opinion on that, too, on the coin toss. What do you think, Peggy? Well, I have to go with Tommy also. Yeah, I just, I knew him personally, and I just know he isn't lying. I mean, you know, he didn't make it up, so. Well, you know, they were both on the tour, but, you know, Tommy was mm-hmm. closer to Buddy in as far as being in the band. Sure. I'm sure they were all good friends. Well, and Tommy, Tommy took care of our dance band, and then he graduated up to being a cricket when the crickets left Buddy Holly when they had the separation. So, um I just have to go with Tommy Alsop on that. There, there's another story that, that uh, Gary, you have shared with me, and that involves Carl Bunch, as, uh, who was, as you say, recovering from frostbite in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, both of you, either of you, care to share what Carl Bunch experienced that night while in the hospital bed? Well, actually, Piggy Sue and I did an interview on Pop Odyssey with uh, Carl Bunch. It's probably his last interview. Mm-hmm. And... As he was talking, you know, he was, you know, he was going to be a dancer like Fred Astaire, you know. And, you know, so when he went on the road, he was like 17 years old. He was the same age as Richie Valens, and he and Richie were close. So when he was in the hospital, the night, well, early, early morning on February 3rd, he wakes up and he told us that he saw Buddy Holly, the big bopper, and Richie Valens standing next to his bed. And they were smiling mm-hmm. at him. And he stood and he stared, or he didn't stand, but he was staring at them. And they stood there and he said, then they vanished, just disappeared. And he had heard just a few hours later that they had been killed in a plane crash. But he was convinced till the day he died that they had come back to visit him one final time after the plane crash. Now, and Carl Bunch, wasn't he a psychologist, Peggy Sue? Yes, he was. 
So he's not some guy, you know, who was not credible. And mm-hmm. being a psychologist, he understands, you know, all the theories behind it. But yet, you know, he was very sincere in that. And uh, it was a very powerful moment. I'll know, say. Listen, think. I've got to take a time out. Uh, we will come back. Our Gary Patterson and Peggy Sue Guerin, Whatever Happened to Peggy Sue, her memoir, now available on Amazon as a trade paperback and available on Kindle. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. All of my love, all of my kissing, you don't know what you've been missing, oh boy. Oh boy. When you're with me, oh boy. Oh boy. The whole world can see that you were meant for me. All of my life, I've been waiting. Tonight there'll be no hesitating, oh boy. Oh boy. When you're with me, oh boy. Oh boy. The whole world can see that you were meant for me. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Hold me close and tell me how you feel Tell me love is real All right, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett, along with uh, good friend R. Gary Patterson, uh, and you'll want to check out his website, rgarypatterson.com, and Peggy Sue Guerin. Whatever happened to Peggy Sue, her uh, memoir... Uh, available on Amazon uh, in a trade paperback and also available on Kindle. Uh, Buddy's widow, six months pregnant at the time, uh, she miscarried, I guess, due to the trauma um, and never attended his funeral or ever visited his grave, I'm told. Is that true? Well, that's true, Richard, but she wasn't pregnant. She wasn't. She wasn't. She was not. No. She was not pregnant, and she did not attend the funeral. She's never been back to where Buddy has been buried in Lubbock, and uh, so no, no, none of that occurred. How did that story get started, that she was six months pregnant and miscarried? Did she start it? Uh, That came from her camp, you know. Why would Uh, she say something like that? uh, Because she was writing a story, Buddy Holly's story, and none of which was true. And Mr. Miss Holly sued over that because the Buddy Holly story with Gary Busey in it. Yes. It was. It just was not accurate, and they sued and they won. So. All right. Um, the Beechcraft Bonanza plane that um, that was chartered mm-hmm. from uh, was it Hubert Dwyer? I think uh, was it Hugh Dwyer, Gary, Jerry Dwyer, Jerry Dwyer. Jerry Dwyer. Uh, where is that? That that plane is still around somewhere. The wreckage, correct? Well, well it's been. A, I think it's been confiscated. That's what I think. Mm. Uh, I think somebody came in and took the plane away, and I I had hoped that this last year they were going to reopen the case, but they didn't do that. But I don't know where the plane is. But I don't think Jerry Dwyer has it. Did Jerry not just pass away as well? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And see, let me just throw in something that about a year, maybe two years ago, and Piggy knows this, I got a phone call from a member of the Dwyer family. And uh, 
actually his wife. And I had talked to her earlier, a few times earlier, and she had called me. And I think what she wanted to do was have me write a book on their version of what happened. And, of course, you know, that version has to do with a, a hole in the back of the pilot seat that supposedly was a bullet hole that it wasn't the pilot's fault. But what they don't, or maybe they do understand, was that there was only one autopsy performed from the plane crash, and that was on the pilot because of regulations. And they didn't find a bullet hole. But when she was talking to me, I just asked her, I said, I've got a question. I said, do you have the plane? And when I said that, it got very, very quiet. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Then she said, we have some of it. We have some of it. So what's the mystery here? What do you think? Is someone hiding something? Yes. Do you care to elaborate on that, Peggy Sue? Yes, I would like to elaborate on that because uh, I went to Beechcraft and I said, if I can get the airplane, would you help me find out what happened to this airplane? And they said, we'll do that for free. We'll put it on our computers. We'll find out exactly what happened to that airplane. But there was no airplane. We couldn't find it. And... um, Jerry Dwyer was not real helpful in helping us find it. And so whatever happened to the airplane, I think it was confiscated. I think they may have left him a few pieces, but I think it was confiscated after the crash. And and I think the reason for that is because there were ulterior motives of why, why it crashed. And I'm being polite. Wait a minute. I mean, it was late at night. It was, we're told, poor wintry weather mm-hmm. conditions. But so you no, don't think that's no. no. There was no. There was no snow coming in. There was no. We had no wind. We had no snow coming in when the plane took off. It had been de-iced. It had. Been, it had its annual. And now I learned to. I learned to take off and land in Bonanza, which was the same same thing. It's a little bit newer modeled in that one, but there was nothing wrong with that airplane when it was pulled out there to take off. Now, maybe it was overloaded. I I will go there. Maybe they had too much stuff on the back of it that they stuck in there, but um, as far as I can tell, there was nothing wrong with the airplane. Well, Gary, J.P. Richardson was a pretty hefty guy. Uh, it is, yeah. it, it, it's, it's been suggested, maybe I probably heard this from you, Gary, I get all my information from you, <laughs> that, that maybe the Big Bopper was trying to change seats mid-flight. Is that possible? There, is a, there was a theory that the Big Bopper had been sick, and he was sitting behind the pilot. And someone had made a suggestion that there may have been Buddy and the Big Bopper trying to change seats as the plane was taking off, which would really have thrown it off balance. And that was just mm-hmm. one of the rumors. you got to remember, after this plane crash, we don't know what happened. And, uh, you know, everybody goes out and they do conjecture, well, what if, what if this happened? And the other thing was that when the plane crashed, Buddy's body was found on one side of the fuselage and Richie Valens on the other. And the pilot was still in the plane, but the big bopper had been thrown 40 feet in front of the plane. Which and, never happens. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, if, the, if he was behind the pilot, I mean, the plane really had to break up and throw him out so he would bypass the pilot on the way out. But 40 feet in front over a fence. So, you know, maybe someday we'll get the answer. But 
there's a lot of a lot of conjecture to what happened on the day the music died. And matter of fact, Don McLean, who wrote the song, is uh, was charged not too long ago, and uh, I think for domestic violence. So anytime you're coming up to February third, I guess strange things happen, don't they? Uh, we just have a few moments, but but Peggy, uh, I understand that. Um, I don't know, in the, in the last several years, relatively recently, you, uh, cr- forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I, I seem to recall hearing something about you feeling that, that Buddy has reached out to you. Oh, yeah. I I have constant communication with him. Can you share a little bit of that in the time that remains? Well, I can't. First of all, you know, it's there. there are many things that have gone wrong through his uh, career and he's very angry about it, and uh, and I don't blame him. I understand that, but you have to realize he's 22 and his thinking. So um, I I I'm in. Uh, I understand what he is saying. It's just that there's no way to go back and prove what it is he's saying. How does he communicate with you? Um, mentally, mentally. Yeah, and and what is he saying? And in terms of, I mean, does he does he? I mean, what does he claim happened on that plane? Uh, he was on the right side of the pilot. Uh, he had no idea what was wrong with the plane. The uh, big bopper and Richie Valens were in the back. I think Richie Valens had a cold. As a matter of fact, that's why he took that plane seat. But uh, he knew, I think he knew immediately when it went up and the RPMs went up on the on the motor and it wasn't going to come down, that he was in trouble. I think he knew immediately then. And uh, I think he knew he was murdered. Murdered? Uh, well, I call Some, it that. But all right. Someone you fixed, may call it something else. Someone sabotaged, the, someone sabotaged the plane. Yes. Hmm. Somebody sabotaged the plane. If somebody came and sabotaged the plane, and somebody knows that, now maybe they're dead now and they are not going to speak from the from the grave. But something happened to that airplane. Any idea why? What what would the motive be? Does Does Buddy Holly have any idea? Uh, I think that it was the fact that <laughs> I think there were a couple of things that were in play here. I think that the the truly evil side of the world decided that if they could get rid of rock and roll, it would be okay. But the truth of the matter is, is that I think that the plane went down because they were going to get rid of rock and roll. And I think Buddy Holly was the epitome of rock and roll. Certainly was. Certainly was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peggy Sue, I want to thank you so much for uh, for spending some time with us. well, Richard, I want to tell you that I just love you on Coast to Coast. I'm in America at Lubbock, Texas, but I listen to you every chance I get. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. I was going to ask you about okay. Lubbock. I was I was going to ask you about Lubbock, Texas. Uh, one of my favorite songs is is Mac Davis. Uh, of although course. Lubbock, Texas, in my rearview mirror. But what was he thinking? Absolutely. <laughs> he wants to get he out of Lubbock, a, Texas. You know, he, he and I graduated the same year in 1958. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yes, that right? he did. It's a great song. And it is. Imagine it's love. What's the population of Lubbock? Uh, it's about two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand, and uh, mm-hmm. Buddy Holly, Mac Davis, and Peggy Sue mm-hmm. Guerin. That's three 
pretty impressive people that come out of Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, again, let's remind uh, listeners that whatever happened to Peggy Sue, this amazing memoir, uh, now available on uh, Amazon in uh, in paperback and uh, also available on Kindle. If you're uh, rocking, thank you, Richard. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh, our Gary, uh, always a pleasure having you on, my friend. Always glad and be back again next time. We'll do it again. All right, let's uh, get oh, folks. Oh yeah, rgarypatterson dot com. All right, thank you both. Thank Good you. night. Good night. All right. Uh, just a brief uh, reminder that coming up next week on the program. Uh, let's see. Who do we have? Oh, we're going to talk about alien abductions. Our good friend uh, Victor Vigiani will be here and an alien abduction researcher. It's, uh, it's going to be a mind blower. The, uh, the website, of course, strangeplanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Oh, I, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. We have a new affiliate. I have, to, um, I have to say hello to KBDB. That's in the Forks, Washington. Uh, that's, uh, it's called the Twilight, 96.7 FM. I love, uh, I love that handle, the Twilight, 96.7 FM in the Forks, Washington. Uh, so thanks to Mark Lamb at uh, the Forks Broadcasting Corporation for making The Conspiracy Show part of your schedule. KDBD in the Forks, Washington. All right. As I always say, follow the truth. Listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio.
Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your taxi cab, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, or your cabin in the woods. And a special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740, and 96.7 FM here in Toronto. All of you, of course, tuning in on one of our affiliates, and we are closing in on 40 stations in the United States. Uh, and I want to uh, welcome once again our new affiliate, KBDB-FM. Uh, that's in the Forks, Washington, Twilight, 96.7 FM. I love that Twilight. <laughs> Very pleased and uh, tremendously proud to be part of uh, your schedule. So once again, thanks to Mark Lang, uh, Lamb, my apologies, Mark Lamb over at uh, Forks Broadcasting. Uh, a hearty how-do uh, to those of you listening in on one of the Conspiracy Show apps, uh, the Zoomer Radio app, uh, both very cool apps. The Conspiracy Show app, the Zoomer app, uh, they're both free to downloads from uh, Google Play and iTunes. Uh, and of course, to all of you joining us on the HOA, our Hangout on Air and live streaming us on YouTube, uh, the podcasts at Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and TalkZone.com. So however and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of a welcomes. I tell you what, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did open lines. And I loved it. Uh, and the response was terrific. So I have decided I'm going to do more of it, a lot more. And that includes tonight, uh, right now. Uh, that's what we're going to do, open lines. And come to think of it, um, I think we're going to do it again next week at this same time. Uh, because the format of this show, uh, because of the format, because of the time constraints, I don't have the time I'd like to take calls, particularly when I have a guest on the program. Time flies so quickly. There's so much, so much information uh, to get out when we have a guest uh, and so little time that I don't have the time I'd like to take calls from listeners. Uh, and so that's why I'd like to institute open lines more often. That is my pledge to you. So we're going to do it tonight, right now. The, the phone lines are open to you, and we can talk about uh, just about anything. But you know how the program works. You know what we talk about. Uh, we can talk conspiracy. We can talk geopolitics. We can talk UFOs, free energy, cryptozoology, the paranormal, whatever goes bump in the night, whatever has the, uh, the hackles on the back of your neck uh, standing out. Uh, so I will, um, I'm going to clear the decks for you. And uh, here are the numbers right now. 416-360-0740. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. That's good for the greater Toronto area. And then we have the toll-free lines uh, out of town uh, and just about anywhere. These are good for just about anywhere. Call 866-740-4740. 866-740-4740. Again, I'll repeat those numbers. 416 360 0740 and toll free 866 740 4740. All right, well, we're gonna, we're gonna dive right in and uh, say hello to Bill, who's joining us from Cambridge, Ontario. Bill, hello, hi there. Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I called a few weeks back when you're doing this. And I had a special on clown dolls. And, That's right. Uh, you, I remember, Bill, you called because you have a problem clown doll. We had, we had a problem, and we, we put it out, and uh, 
the energy feels a lot better here. So Aha. I wanted to thank you for putting that uh, clown uh, information up on your show, and it's very, very helpful because I had a bad feeling about it, and um, now that it's gone, things feel a lot better here. Right. Just to recap, for those that didn't hear your call, Bill, you called in, and uh, you, your wife, I believe, had inherited the clown doll from someone. Yes, yes. You didn't like the doll. You were getting a bad vibe. Right. She wouldn't get rid of it. Right. You didn't know what to do. You were kind of up a tree, so you called in. And then the next week, I had our paranormal investigator on, Rosemary Allen Guiley. Right. Uh, and we talked about, uh, and we have talked about this in the past, and that yes. is haunted objects mm-hmm. uh, and particularly dolls. Yes. Uh, let's face it, a lot of people have fear oh, yeah. of, of clowns, and clown dolls are, can be very creepy. Right, right. So how did you convince your wife to, to get rid of it? Well, we heard the, we heard the show, and uh, I just said that it was, um, I had a very, very bad feeling about it, and she listened to all the information there that Rosemary uh, put forth, and it, it really helped uh, with the convincing that it was time for that uh, clown doll to go. And, and did you just, did you put it in an, uh, an outbuilding, like a garage, or did you get rid of it entirely? Oh, it's gone entirely. We put it out to the road. And the garbage truck took it away. Wow. <laughs> All right. Bill, glad to be of service. And I will pass that on to Rosemary Ellen Guiley yes. as well. Yes, thank you very much for uh, all the information she gave. All right, Bill, my pleasure. Right, and keep these shows coming, eh? Will do, sir. right Okay, thank you. Uh, all right, there's Bill, who is uh, Light One Less Clown Doll. All right, we have um, uh, Dave in... Davany, I'm sorry, Davany in Niagara Falls. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh, how you doing, Richard? It, it actually is Dave. Uh, Davany is my uh, username, uh, formerly from Hamilton, but back in Niagara Falls after years. I've talked to you uh, numerous times uh, about the organized stalking uh, before on the program, but I'm wondering what I found out is that uh, it can affect anybody from the homeless guy in the street to the president of the United States. Uh, I certainly believe that. Yes, I have. Um, I have been in contact with countless uh, uh, victims of uh, not only organized stalking but um, electronic harassment. Uh, and and I've, as I always say, I think harassment is a misnomer. It's really electronic torture. Uh, yeah, but I, and it's not really so much the electronic harassment that I've experienced. It's the dictionary definition. Definition. The Oxford Dictionary of it being as uh, repeated small-scale attacks on an enemy in order to wear down resistance. And that's what I've experienced a lifetime from high school all the way up uh, from, you know, constructive eviction, constructive dismissal, uh, forced out of high school, constructive license suspension, it kind of goes on and on and it comes from all quarters. But what I'm trying to do, I'm wondering if it's possible, I've contacted uh, over 20 years as a victim's rights advocate uh, I've got 91 pages of names and numbers here, and you're way back on page 75. But uh, there's got to be over 2,500 people I've contacted. And I'm trying to get the story uh, out and where I can get on a platform where I can discuss the issues that are going on you know, on the globe to explain how that actually is what I call STOP, the acronym Strategic Targeting of Persons, the Organized Stalking. And is there anybody that you know that I can contact by phone? My emails, I get two accounts that are both compromised. My Twitter account, same thing. So I'm wondering if there's anybody that you know of that I can contact by phone 
that I may be able to get this story out. Wow, to get the story out. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I guess I don't have great news. Um, you're certainly not going to have any friends in the mainstream media. That's for sure. Uh, and I have to even, you know, I'm toiling on the fringes of mainstream media. I mean, this is a 50,000 blowtorch station. Uh, but, you know, I can't have, unfortunately, you come on and start naming names and, and, and things because that would just be reckless on my part. Well, so, would there be somebody you could find out where I could call in and maybe get the information from, uh, you know, Ian, I guess, and they could pass it on? You, you want to pass your information on to me? No, I mean, if you could pass something on to me, if somebody's interested in the story, that, I, that you can get a number where I could call them. Well... Uh, I mean, do you do you have a, a some sort of a, an online forum or? Well, that's what I said. All my stuff is compromised yeah. uh, repeatedly. I've I've spoken to numerous, uh, even coast to coast guests, and I have uh, difficulty getting uh, through to them. Uh, Michael Fitzhugh Bell has been on your show before. Yes. I was in contact with him, and then he stopped getting my emails. So, it's a reoccurring problem where they interfere with the communication. And I've been in touch with top level people in the media, and they get threatened um and they can't they have to back off so it's going to take somebody that's got a you know suit of armor that can take the heat uh that i would be able to get in touch with uh, probably by phone because all the other methods have not been successful although they'll even interfere with the phone calls uh you know you'll get an answering machine repeatedly that people don't get your your calls i've had confirmation from uh, coast to coast guests Douglas Hagman, who told me that no, he never got any of my messages for three months. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, what he might be able to do for you. But what about something like Dr. John Hall down in in San yeah, Antonio, I've tried Texas? That too, Richard. I mean, tell you the people. Like, I've been talking twenty five hundred names here, top level people, and uh, they, they got the gatekeepers there too that block you from getting access to the people you need to speak with. Well, uh, I'll, I'll put you back on hold, and if you want to get my contact information and try and send this information, and I can forward it to. Um, to others, I'd be happy to do that for you. Well, I'll tell you what, before you let me go, you've got a lot of psychics that you know of. Maybe they can uh, get the information that uh, find the, uh, you know, the, the door that I need to go to to uh, you know, probably get this you know, information public. But yeah, if you want to put me on hold uh, for any information, uh, that, that'd be fine. Uh, Ian will pass along my, uh, my email, or you can just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca. Yeah, I've, oh, I've actually tried that before. Like I say, I've tried sending emails, and that's, like I say, it's compromised, so that doesn't work. What about good old-fashioned snail mail? Uh, that's, you know, that's why they want to go to the community mailboxes for the same reason. They can inter- intercept the mail that way, too. Well, um, gotta, here's the other thought, Dave. Off, we could talk? Well, I mean, short of then having to, you know, you give it to me in dictation, and, and I just, I can't... I just can't, you know, I can't commit to that kind of time. All right. Well, I, I thought I'd give it a try, but if you think of something, you know how to find me on Twitter. Well, uh, well, if you're on Twitter, uh, why not, um, yeah, send me some posts, send me some tweets. The other thing is, Dave, should the priority for you, uh, rather than trying to get this story out, whatever that story is, and I'm sure it's well documented, but, I mean, what about just getting your – your own situation cleared up and taken care of, and, and uh, uh, I mean, is 
is life livable for you at this point? Are you being harassed well, I'm lucky constantly? I've got a roof over my head. Well, you yeah. heard about the Dole salad recall recently. That yes. was one of my staples. Uh, cold cuts were another staple in 07. Maple Leaf had listeria problems then. Uh, believe me, I've had more attempts on my life than Billy Meyer. But uh, in any event, that's why I thought I'd try here in case there's some uh, miracle that you may have come come across well, just, psychically. Somehow the connections psychically, they may know of somebody. Well, I've, like I said, I've been doing this for years, tried over 25 people and I can't get anybody that can take it on because it's too politically sensitive. Well, you got my ear anyway, so get uh, uh, Ian. Uh, we'll get your information. Okay. And um, you know, maybe we can do a couple of test emails back and forth, and if we can establish contact, then you can send me the information. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right, Dave. Hey, hang thanks. in there, buddy. Hang in there. You All right. Take care. Open lines, 416-360-0740, toll free from out of town, 866-740-4740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships. And sometimes, corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. All right. Uh, welcome back. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, just very briefly about uh, this Zerka virus. Uh, I tell you, people are just... Uh, panicking and going crazy with fear. And um, the story here on um, discovery.com, headline, gene-hacked mosquitoes to fight Zika virus. Uh, And as I say, it's spreading like wildfire, according to the World Health Organization, putting millions of people at, at risk. It's said to be transmitted through the sting of an infected mosquito. And... Uh, the virus can cause a birth defect called microcephaly, uh, microcephaly in uh, newborn babies. And this rare condition supposedly shrinks the brains, oh Lord, shrinks the brains of unborn babies and uh, may affect as many as 4 million people before a vaccine is developed. And, um, Scientists at uh, the biotech firm Oxitec, which is based in the United Kingdom, have an alternative plan. They want to unleash armies of gene-hacked mosquitoes into Brazilian jungles to seek and destroy the disease-carrying insects. And these genetically modified mosquitoes uh, wouldn't fight the Zika carriers uh, in proboscis-to-proboscis combat. In fact, these mosquitoes make love, not war. Uh, that's because the mosquitoes, specifically a strain called, uh, well, I won't try to pronounce the Latin. Uh, anyway, there's a specific strain of uh, mosquitoes, and they will be modified in the lab first to carry a gene that would be transferred to their offspring after mating with wild versions in the jungle. And the gene uh, causes mosquitoes, young mosquitoes, to die before they reach reproductive age. Uh, research and development of genetically engineered uh, these engineered uh, mosquitoes is already well underway at Oxitec because the mosquito carriers uh, carries rather other tropical diseases such as dengue fever. 
uh, that the biotech firm has been working to reduce. Uh, reduce. Uh, in experiments Oxitec undertook in various locations of Latin America and Asia, their genetically modified mosquitoes reduced populations of wild mosquitoes by 90%. All Oxitec has to do is release swarms of the genetically modified mosquitoes in Brazil. All right, so that is uh, the latest weapon in the, uh, the fight against this terrifying Zika virus. Genetically modified mosquitoes developed by a biotech firm. They will mate with the, uh, the wild mosquitoes. Uh, and then this gene that the modified version will carry will be transferred to the, their offspring... Uh, and this gene causes young mosquitoes to die before they reach reproductive age. And again, they have had success with this. In experiments, they, uh, they undertook in various locations of Latin America and Asia, these genetically modified mosquitoes reduced populations of wild mosquitoes by 90%. Now, uh, coming up on the program in two weeks... John Rappaport, medical investigative journalist from nomorefakenews.com. That is a wonderful website, and he does wonderful work. Uh, really uh, publishes some, some amazing cutting-edge uh, reports. John Rappaport will be on this program uh, with an entirely different take on the, uh, the Zika virus. Uh, he thinks it's a hoax, a scam, and he will tell us why. Uh, all right, we are doing open lines. Let's go back to the phones, and uh, Randy has joined us. Randy, where are you calling from? Calling from downtown Brantford, Ontario. Aha! Corner right. of Clarence and Darling. Clarence and Darling, I know the corner well. Brickham, where Brickham Pizza used to be. All right. How about that? We grew up on the same street. We did. All right, we won't tell. We won't tell. Or Andre mean anything? Oh yes, indeed they do. But we won't tell anyone the location. How's that? No, okay, I'm fine with that. Okay. Nice park, though. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Well, good to hear from someone. Coast to coast one night, and uh, I heard you say it's a long way from Brantford, Ontario, to the host of Coast to Coast. And I I said, did he say Brantford, Ontario? That's right, the telephone city. Yeah, so we found you in the Verner's directory, and I went to school with. uh, I went to school from. 72 to 77 at the same high school as you. Ah, Pauline Johnson. I'll say that much. Okay. Yeah, so you're a little you're a little older than I am, Randy. By about three years. Okay. But uh, it's great to finally talk to you. Likewise. And your mosquito story is wild. Well, uh, it's wild. which take? It's the like genetically some... modified mosquitoes or John Rappaport's claim that this is an, this, it's, a, it's a hoax? It sounds like something from Star Trek. You know, nanoprobes or something. I don't know. It's all getting too wild for me. Well, uh, if they if they can um, create this, they have this genetically modified version of a mosquito that carries a gene that will terminate. It's almost like the Terminator seeds from Monsanto. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it can, if it works down there, and, and they're reducing mosquito populations by ninety percent. Hey, I'm all on board. Let's bring some of those up here. Why don't they just introduce LSD to them? <laughs> like, the guy, like last night on Coast to Coast. That was a wild conversation. Work. There you go. That was a wild conversation. That was wild. Richard, I'll let you go. Nice talking to you, man. Take Randy, care. thank you so much. Good to hear from uh, someone from Brantford, Ontario, calling from the intersection of Clarence and Darling. Uh, 
You know, there's a, a street in, in, in Brantford, and it's actually, it's Dalhousie. It's Dalhousie. But you know, you can tell if someone's from out of town when you're in Brantford because they pronounce it Dalhousie, which is the way it's spelled, and it's the way it should be pronounced. But a native Brantfordian knows that it's not Dalhousie, it's Dalhousie. I don't know why, but it's uh, Dalhousie. Uh, let's see. Uh, now we went, we went from Randy. Now we're going to Randall. Hey, Randall, how are you? Uh, hey, Richard. It's kind of a coincidence because my friends call me Randy, and I'm near Clarence, New York right now. <laughs> uh, I love serendipity. Serendipity? Isn't that weird? It is. Listen, um, Buddy Holly, a major, major influence on me, um, I think there's something a little unusual that Gary Patterson might want to check out. All right. What's that? Well, you remember Dick Clark, the famous DJ who died just a few years ago? Sure, American Bandstand. I mean, that's how yeah. many of these bands were introduced to, to, to North Americans. Yes. And he had, the, other than the Ed Sullivan Show copy of Buddy Holly's band performing, he right. had the other copy of another event where Buddy Holly and the Crickets performed, the only other one. And I, I've never seen it. I don't know if anybody's seen it other than the people who were there in the first place, but apparently a few years before Dick Clark died, he said, oh, there's been this tragedy in my studio. One of the new employees accidentally erased that tape. Wow. And of course, I was just devastated. But now I'm thinking, this, this just doesn't make sense. Because um, I met a, a media art student a few years ago, and I had this tape from one of the universities I taught at, and I told him, I don't need this, just re erase it. He said, no, we are trained to always look at what's on the thing before we erase it. Right. And, he, and I said, no, no, there's nothing important on there, erase it. And he insisted on checking it, and it turned out there was a really good uh, program on there about a serial killer, Ted Bundy. Mm hmm and I said, oh, boy, I, I, I'd like to keep that. I'm really glad we checked that. So if, and I, as I understand, you teach journalism students. Uh, broadcasting, I did, yes. Yeah, so they would be trained not to just sort of blindly erase stuff, to, to check it first and see if it's valuable. Well, now, and, and it's, and now it's far easier. I mean, in the old, the old days, you used to take, uh, if it was an audio recording on a, like a, um, quarter-inch tape, a reel-to-reel -reel machine, uh, what we called a pancake, and you needed to, to erase it, uh, you had a degausser, which was essentially a magnet, and you would degauss it. And uh, you know, that uh, took some physical effort. Now everything, of course, is ones and zeros on hard drives, and it's a click here, and uh, you put it in the trash, and you accidentally empty the trash, and it's gone. It's, it's far easier to erase things now. But that... If we're talking about you know the the the, night, the mid to fit, late fifties, uh, before the advent of videotape, that would have been probably I think what do they call that um, a cinescope or what do they call that when they would actually, uh, in order to record something that was being played live on TV, they had to actually point a uh, a film camera at a television screen, which is why if you look at uh, old TV shows from the early days. Uh, that went out live, they sort of looked distorted when you see them on the TV screen because they were actually recorded on film and a film camera was pointed. It was very rudimentary. The film camera was had to be pointed at a TV screen in order to record what was going out live for posterity. It was recorded on film. 
Uh, and, of course, the TV screens were kind of curved. So that's why if you look at old TV shows, the old I Love Lucy's and the old Honeymooners, you're seeing shows that were only designed to go out live, and then they were gone forever, yeah. except they were recorded on film. Well, uh, whatever the technology, and I'm, I'm no, uh, no expert there, it just seems very suspicious to me that some junior employee in Dick Clark's empire could, could erase this extremely valuable tape or whatever the medium was. And I'm just coming up with my own conspiracy idea here, is that he, he copied it and he sold it to someone on the black market for a huge amount of money, and then he erased the original and told Dick Clark, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Because uh-huh. it, just, it just seems hard to believe that could happen the way it supposedly did. I'll say. Yes, it does. It does sound very suspicious. Well, you may be onto something, Randall. Um, yeah, well, I'm hoping somebody might, uh, might be able to pick up on that, because I would just love to see the, that uh, other early recording of Buddy Holly and the Crickets. It would just be priceless. I'm wondering whether, uh, he, whether he was... Um, he must have done some television shows in England as well. That, uh, uh, so are we saying that the only, um, the only television appearances that are still available uh, was the Ed Sullivan... Was he not on the Steve Allen show or something like that? Oh, that's my understanding. I could huh. be wrong. All right. Um, this this was apparently of some other um, performance. Other than that, I've only seen a very few seconds of an eight millimeter clip from that uh, fateful, um, you know, winter uh, winter dance party tour right. that he he died on. I, somebody in the audience took a, a very short, uh, you know, eight millimeter clip. So. Um, just uh, would love to see more actual uh, video of Buddy Holly. All right, Randall. Um, oh, now is this this is Randall Montgomery? Yeah. Um, tell us about your. Uh, we have to get you on the program uh, finally <laughs> and do a program. Do a show. Well, the only thing I want to say is that, uh, and I just sent you an email about this uh, in my book Aliens and UFOs, which is available at BookLocker.com/slash fifty nine twenty, and it, it's advertised on your Strange Planet website, which is a great website. I'd encourage all your viewers to go to the Strange Planet. Is it .ca or .com? Uh, it's .ca. Yeah, StrangePlanet.ca, a great website. Thank and you. To do like I did, become a, a member, and thanks for for putting the cover of my book on there. Uh, I'm I'm very critical of alien abductions, but uh, it occurs to me that in those very rare cases where you've got two or more witnesses who don't have uh, you know a history of uh, personality disorder or sleep disturbance, and the the so-called abduction occurs in daylight when they're like driving a car, uh, you know it can't be a sleep paralysis and it can't be a personality disorder. And so uh, I just wanted to throw that out there, that, that um, if I ever do a future edition of my book, I might put that point in there. Oh, it's an excellent point. Um, you know, the Roper poll that was commissioned um, by uh, Dr. David Jacobs, and um, I'm not sure, was John Mack involved in that as well? Yeah, I think uh, Bud Hopkins. Was. I think Bud Hopkins was in it. That was yeah. going back, what, 20 years ago, the, um, the, yeah, the Roper yeah. poll. And the the findings there were what was it something like two or four percent of the American population sort of fit the profile of a potential abductee. 
Well, I, I'm very critical of that. If you, if you read my book, I, I kind of uh, deconstruct that. The whole thing was kind of biased. Uh, you know, those two people that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, put those questions in there, and the way it was phrased was it wasn't phrased in an objective way. So I, I wouldn't rely on that statistic. Right. I mean, uh, even if it's, uh, let's say, conservatively, uh, it's, you know, one one-hundredth of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, as it doesn't matter how rare it is. If it happens once, then it's then it's real. Uh, yes. And, well, it, it, I only interviewed one abductee, and that's mentioned in my book. And some very uh, a very strange thing happened when I interviewed him. And I don't. Uh, I just put it in a footnote in my book. But something strange happened at his house when I interviewed him. So <laughs> uh, the scientific part of me is skeptical, but. The personal part of me is wondering, geez, what the hell is going on? I'm going to have uh, Albert uh, get a hold of you, and we will book a show, and we're going to do it um, perhaps this uh, this coming month in February. Are you good for that? Okay, thanks very much, Richard. We are long overdue. All right, Randall okay. uh, Montgomery and Aliens and UFOs with the foreword written by Nick Pope, nonetheless. No less, rather. Okay. Okay. Thank you, thanks Randall. Thanks very much. Uh, let's see. We have. Do we have time uh, here, Ian, for another call? No. Let's. Uh, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back and uh, continue with open lines. I love it. I love it. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free from just about anywhere. One eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show and your calls. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, I just want to throw this log on the fire. Uh, it appears that the noose is ever-tightening uh, around the uh, presidential aspirations of uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, it would appear that an indictment is looming. Uh, the FBI has declared 22 Clinton home server emails uh, are classified as top secret. Uh, but they're not going to be releasing the contents, according to the Associated Press, Uh, Hillary Clinton has insisted she never sent or received information on her personal email account that was classified at the time. No emails released so far were stamped, classified, or top secret, but reviewers previously had designated more than 1,000 messages at lower classification levels for public release. And uh, Friday's release will be the, the first at the top secret level. 22 of the emails found have been declared top secret. And because the administration believes strongly in transparency and accountability, you won't get any information about just what kind of state secrets were passed on a non-secure server. 
The State Department won't speak on content of top-secret emails. And uh, the Obama administration is confirming for the first time that Hillary Clinton's unsecured home server contains some closely guarded secrets, including material requiring one of the highest levels of classification. And uh, this revelation comes just three days before the Iowa uh, presidential nominating caucuses in which Clinton is a candidate. The, the, uh, the Associated Press has also learned that seven email chains are being withheld in full for containing top-secret material. The 37 pages include messages recently described by a key intelligence official as concerning so-called special access programs, a highly restricted subset of classified material that could point to confidential sources or clandestine programs like drone strikes or government eavesdropping. Uh, so the news is not good for Hillary Clinton, um, which is interesting because despite the fact that she's leading um, her main Democratic rival, Bernie Sanders, in the polls, of course, we had uh, Paul Garcia on the program. Was it last week, Albert, from uh, the Merlin Project? And according to his time tracks, Hillary Clinton will not be the nominee. So... Uh, this email scandal, which is just one of several scandals, one of several hurdles, there's the whole, uh, you know, the uh, allegations of uh, corruption and uh, what have you uh, associated with the Clinton Foundation. It has been described as a giant money laundering scheme. Uh, so there's that. Uh, there, of course, is... The fact that she is an enabler with a sexual predator, uh, Bill Clinton. I mean, there are more and more women coming out. Uh, it's almost reminiscent of the Bill Cosby case. Uh, and her participation in going after these victims in order to discredit them, the uh, Juanita Brodericks and so forth. The Kathleen Willies. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think Hillary Clinton is going to be the nominee. I don't. I, I just think there are too many, too many problems for her, and the noose is tightening. I think if the FBI doesn't, well, they will. They'll they'll seek an indictment. The question is, will the U.S. Attorney General go along with that? Going to be interesting, right down to the wire. Uh, Dana is in Southbury. Southbury. Dana, where is Southbury? Yeah, you, uh, you know, uh, think about LBJ and the Buddy Baker fiasco. Um, this is similar to that. It reminds me of, um, but I don't mean to change the subject. I wanted to speak about the Buddy Holly plane crash. Yes. And I wanted to make a parallel with the John Jr. Kennedy plane crash. Here you have, uh, you have no independent investigation on both crashes. Um, you have um, two superstars with a tremendous amount of power at, at will with uh, whatever they did in life. I mean, just think that you knew John Kennedy Jr. was going to eventually run for president. And the Clinton mafia knew that and the Bush mafia knew that. And what a way to get rid of them by, you know, sabotaging the plane. Did you know Teddy Kennedy's plane uh, was, uh, I mean, Paul Wellstone was on Teddy Kennedy's plane that day that crashed. 
Did you uh, know E. Howard Hunt's wife was on a plane that was yes. I've, I've, well, I've talked to E. Howard's son, and we we talked about that. Yes. Yeah. And did you know that? Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry. I'm. I just uh, that the uh, if you talk to the people there at the uh, at the airport in Martha's Vineyard um, that day. It was clear as a bell. That's right. Initial reports yeah. uh, were that there was no, the visibility was good, and then the, the story seemed to change. And then you're right, that does mirror, uh, well, we just heard recently from uh, Peggy, Peggy Sugarin who said the weather was not, I mean, visibility was fine. There was no mm-hmm. snow uh, near, near Clear Lake, Iowa. So uh, she does not rule out foul play in Buddy Holly's uh, plane crash. Interesting. And poor Paul Wellstone, he was on the plane that I guess was uh, was, was uh, earmarked for Ted Kennedy. Did you know? Did you know that? Uh, I'm not. Sh- I'm not clear on the the connection between Wellstone and Ted Kennedy. No. Well, the, um, Paul Wellstone, the senator of Minnesota. Yes. Yeah. Um, years ago, was killed on a plane crash. That and, I did uh, know, but I didn't know the connection with Ted Kennedy. Yeah, Ted Kennedy. That was uh, his plane. He was supposed to be on that 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 flight. Um, but it got canceled. He canceled out at the last minute. Aha. Um, so uh, that's interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I really, um, I, have, I haven't spoken to you, Richard, since you had Judith Very Baker on um, a few years back. It was very interesting. I appreciate you letting me talk to her. But um, uh, I don't get a chance on Sundays to call you as much as I used to. But I do listen to you. Appreciate uh, it. But I really appreciate you. Like um, we, we never hear on American radio. Like what you said last week, like Dick Cheney and George Bush cannot travel to Europe or they're going to be arrested on war crimes. Okay? Right. And right. I'm, so, I'm so sick of people interviewing like Sean Hannity, interviewing Dick Cheney like he's some, some god. I mean, these people, they knew there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Um, I, I live five miles. I don't mean to change the subject, but just, I'm just going to make a comparison. I live five miles from the Sandy Hook Massacre in Newtown, Connecticut, okay? Okay. When Cheney and Bush bombed Baghdad, think of all the five- and six-year-old kids they killed, mm. okay? Innocent mm-hmm. kids, okay? Hundreds, maybe thousands, okay? Right, right. But not to mention, not to mention, the, minds, like, yeah. not to mention the yeah. hundreds of thousands that, that died during the embargo yeah. when, when Iraq was denied... And and we're all listen. It's not just the United States. I mean, that was that was the West. That was Europe. That was Canada. Uh, we're yeah. all. Your radio station. God bless you. You've got the you know, the balls. Excuse me to put it on on the airways. And you never hear that down here. You never hear a radio person talk like that. They're well, afraid. listen. They're I, I lose their job. I'm the last person to line up and take shots at the United States. I love the United States. I think it is. You're not taking a shot. You're telling the truth. Yeah. These people should be in prison. Bush and Cheney for what they did. There was no weapons of mass destruction. They knew that. The U.N. inspectors told them that over and over again, okay? But they were going to have their war anyways. Mm-hmm. Cheney went on TV and said, they said, yeah, even if we were 100% sure there were no weapons of mass destruction, we still were going to have the war. He's so arrogant, that guy. He's just a despicable human being. And people down here, they call the Bush, Bush family the Bush Mafia and the Clinton family the Clinton Mafia. It's getting around. And uh, Jeb Bush, go away. He's the last person I'd vote for for president. Well, a change is going to come. A change is going to come. Be very careful because I'm afraid of 
they might put something on his uh, helicopter or one of his planes. Likewise, know? yes, he's a very dangerous man in many ways to a lot of different people. Uh, Dana, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for checking in from Connecticut tonight. All right, we'll uh, take a time out, come back, and if you've got a line, hold on to it. More open lines right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, uh, let's see. Ed is in London. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Ed. How are you? Hello. Hi there, Ed. Go ahead. Isn't it wonderful as a former American to hear Americans talking about their former government in the way that gentleman just did? Uh, all right, yes. Ten, ten years ago, they were in a fight. <laughs> But they're, they're catching on now. All right, Ed, what's, uh, where do you want to take this tonight? The thing I wanted to raise was the uh, Canadian Press uh, article of January 14th, CSIS incitement raised in B.C. case. Did you see that? Which B.C. case are we talking about? The British Columbia, two people, a man and a woman, are planning to bomb the legislature in British Columbia. Okay, yes. And their case is coming up in court now, and the judge just ordered some documents unsealed. A very brave judge that uh, implicates thesis in radicalizing these two people. Ah, interesting. You didn't notice that? Uh, no, I, I have to be honest. I haven't had a chance to look into that. It's a small article, but I tell you, I think it's a real eye-opener. All right. Well, we will keep our eye on that. I think uh, we should look for those same people in our cenotaph shooting. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right, Ed, I'll take a look at that. Thank you so much well, for bringing that to our attention. January 14th. Jan 14th. Okay. They have ordered uh, documents unsealed, and that may, perhaps, according to Ed, implicate CSIS in radicalizing uh, these two individuals who uh, were attempting to bomb the B.C. legislature. Okay. Uh, let's see. Deborah is in Pickering. Deborah, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hello. Hi, Deborah. I didn't think I'd get on this fast. Well, here you are. But, yeah... Now, I want to talk to you about something that has been really bothering me. And there was a documentary that Ben Stein put out. I think it was 2009. And I was working in Florida at the time. And my the president of the company that I worked for, the publishing company, said, we've got to see this documentary. So we went to see it. It was at the theater. But before that... You're talking about expelled, no intelligence allowed. Yeah, expelled, right. no intelligence allowed. It was right. all about... It was, the movie was about... They teach evolution in the universities. But this intelligent design um, professors had come up with... Um, a, um, this intelligent design could have been the reason why we're here. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And they will not allow it. They will not allow that. Well, what happened is before we went to the movie, we went to church down there, like everybody does in Florida, and um, and um, for the record, I'm a Christian, but we went there and it was a Baptist church and they were saying, you've got to go see Expelled. 
it's not a Christian movie, but you've got to go see it. And then we, we heard a lot of, well, in the movie, and Ben, ben Stein is terrific because he's got that deadpan sense yes. of humor. Yes, he is terrific. And anyway, it's a, it was fabulous, fabulous movie. And basically what it boiled down to, for me, what really hit home was the academic freedom. Or, yeah, or lack thereof. Or that lack going thereof. on, but I'm not going to talk about that. But it still revolves around the academic freedom. He interviewed a lot of professors that had been let go, were, not, were denied tenure and all this, because they had just mentioned it. Some yes. of them, one of them had just mentioned it in the article. Um, and everything was there. Well, what happened was, I said to see that was the movie was fantastic. I can't, but can't wait to get back to Toronto, and things will things come to the theater a little bit later. I think first they go to the U.S., then they come here. Or am I thinking way back? They probably come here at the same time now. I don't know, but I came back here, and I and I said, when's it, looking in the newspaper? When's expelled going to come? Because we saw it at the show, you know. So. It turned out it never came here. So I phoned her and I said, I can't believe it. It just didn't come here. She said to me, she said, you're not going to believe it, but they took it out of the theaters. And so I went, Blockbuster was closing at the time, I guess. And um, I had been to the local Blockbuster and I went there three times. Finally, the fellow said, okay. He said, I do have a copy of the movie. But, um, and I'm going to give it to you because you've been here three times. There was only three left and they came to take it out of Blockbuster and we hid them. And he, and he gave me a copy of it. Now, I never heard anything about it. Ben Stein didn't say anything, but you know, I mean, he's um, got a, a life too, you know, he has to go on. What happened? Well, is, you know? <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic example. And, and for those who, who aren't familiar with the film, and basically the film, this documentary, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, uh, is contending that mainstream science is suppressing any academics who believe they see evidence of intelligent design in nature and anyone who criticizes evidence supporting uh, Darwinian evolution. And... Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I remember when the film came out um, about eight years ago, and Ben Stein did the rounds. He was on a lot of U.S. television, in debates, on CNN, panel discussions, and so forth. I thought there was a now fairly that part I didn't see. Yeah, there was a fairly healthy discourse, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and there there, there usually is uh, about this type of topic. Far so mm-hmm. more, more more so down in the United States than there is here. There is. Uh, it it pains me to say here in Canada, um, a genuine hostility uh, to any worldview that challenges uh, sort of the materialist orthodoxy, shall we say? In Canada, yes, absolutely. Okay. It is institutionalized. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely. I mean, the uh, and I have been. I have worked in. At the state broadcaster here, uh, and I am also a Christian, I had to keep my head down. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, 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 I can appreciate that. Deborah, uh, you know what? Uh, yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. What, what eats away at me is the, the broader thing that we're looking at here, too, as well, is, that, is the um, um, beyond that, the academic freedom. There is none. There isn't, and because there's another issue that I would love to talk to you, um, I would 
another time about it. I could send in some information because I've, you know, talked about it before. Um, I'll tell you what's going on in the the media about this issue. But right now, what uh, what I I have been asked by um, some professors, okay, at the U of T. Please don't mention any names. Do not mention names, please. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not. It's all lies, but there's stuff on there. There's professors, and I've and I've written them, and I've sent them information. They thank you, and then they have a uh, what they call a blog with the media to talk about it, and mm. I can't even get into it uh, on my iPhone. But that's that's what I'm trying to say is the stuff that's getting out there, the truth, especially you know when it comes to the universities. I mean, they're there. To, as far as I'm concerned, the physicists, the ones that they're the only real scientists. All right, Deborah, I can I can tell that you are uh, very upset, and um, I'm very emotional about I this. Can, I can tell that you yeah. are. Listen, well, as I say, there is no academic freedom, and what is going on in university campuses around North America and college campuses? Uh, it has they have become uh, brainwashing indoctrination camps. Uh, and it is absolutely, uh, you know, at one point the political correctness was kind of amusing and it has left, it has long since departed from amusing. It is now, uh, dangerous and deeply disturbing to the point that they are graduating a a generation of students, of of young people that, um, are, are, will, will seriously undermine Will their 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 points of view seriously? Uh, I think pose a threat to uh, our way of life. And 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 when it comes to um, even the reading, like what, the way I look at it, okay, we have the internet, we have all this now, we have you know, thanks Steve Jobs and everybody else, but it's like the world has found a golden knife. Now, you know the whole old saying, don't stab yourself with it, right? That All right, Deborah, I, I, we'll, we're going to leave it there, but I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we have time for one more. Uh, let's see. Uh, Melanie is in Toronto. Melanie, good evening. Hello, Richard. Hi there. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay. Um, well, I want to mention the um, UFO files being released by CIA, you know, uh, yes, agency, we, right? Yes, we've posted something up on uh, strangeplanet.ca, one of those yes, stories. Yeah. Yes, I've seen it. But the funniest part of it is that Hillary Clinton right away made an um, uh, interview uh, in a paper called the Conway News. Yeah, I think that was down in New Hampshire, if memory serves, uh, right. where she said, well, maybe aliens have already been here. Yeah, and she promised, you know, like she even joked us, apparently, that um, if if people would vote, that she would open the Area uh, 51 files and all the UFO files. Yeah, I mean, I think she was being flippant, quite frankly. Yeah, she she doesn't have a clearance, even if she would become, um, you know, president, which she won't anyway. But I, I, I think people missed the, the, the whole point why her people chose uh, that paper. Okay, tell me. The Conway. The Conway. 
Yeah. Oh, you know, the, like con, the con. The con. There you That's go. Right. All right. That's right. <laughs> okay. I was laughing like. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I think that she's, was hilarious. Uh, you know. That is a clever. Uh, observation, Melanie. Thank you for that. <laughs> All right. I tell you, uh, it's going to be interesting, and particularly if the U.S. Attorney General, Ms. Lynch, refuses yeah. to indict. I suspect what will happen, and again, we're talking about the uh, the, uh, the private uh, email server and the mm-hmm. top secret emails. I think the way this is going to play out is uh, Lynch, the uh, U.S. Attorney General, is going to appoint what they call a special mm-hmm. prosecutor. Uh, which means okay. they won't indict. Uh, it's just kind of a political game they play. They appoint a political uh, or a special prosecutor, which means there will be no uh, indictment, and uh, it'll basically kick the can down the road until after the election. Uh, well, but they, there, they... there are so many, of, and this is coming from now several sources, including a former U.S. attorney uh, or a former attorney general from the state of Virginia, that there are so many FBI um, uh, agents that are chomping in the bit. They say this is an absolute slam dunk case, yeah. uh, and um, she should be in jail. She should be. Yeah. We'll see. All right, Melanie, thank you so or, much. Or, or Richard, maybe she's going to get shot again in the airplane. Well, I don't wish remember? ill on anyone. I don't wish well, ill on anyone. Well, remember, well, they tried to cover that up when she was in the shelter. All right, I got to go, Melanie, but yeah, thank you. Okay, thank Good to you. talk to you. All right, my thanks to uh, Ian, Albert, and uh, John Franz, another member of the uh, the team. Thank you so much. Back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.